In this episode, can you really compete with Iron Man? And what's the deal with API for ERP? And then why did the fat lady quit singing? gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey everybody, before we get into today's show, I ask a quick favor. Can you do me a favor? Support the show. Leave me a review. This is a brand new podcast. You know, we're over 600,000 listeners in 172 different countries with all of our other podcasts. So can just three of y'all take the three minutes and leave me a review in iTunes? It'd make things so much better for us. And I really appreciate it. Give you a big shout out. And then we have Richard Martin here with Regis as a guest. And I just want to say real quick, hats off to our sponsor, Flutour.com. Action is not insights. They are bringing tech to the oil and gas industry. And we love their support on this show. So Richard, you and I had a great conversation off the mic that I kind of wish I would have recorded. But before we get into what Regis does, what's your backstory? How did you get into this crazy world? Well, it's kind of interesting. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of the old guys now. So I got interested in computers before they were readily available. So in high school, really, I took life savings out at that point. I bought a precursor to the Commodore VIC-20 is a, is a Commodore. Oh, pet. you're dating yourself there. Keep uh, going. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sad that I'm going to have to do that. And then I just locked myself up, you know, for about three to four years and just geeked out and just did programming and games and, you know, and, and then get started, discovered a modem, got onto the direct lines back then and BBSs and Pentagon and all sorts of different things. And just really from that point going forward, knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I've, you know, you know, I did a college degree in computer science, university degree in, in software engineering, and just really spent a lot of time on the R&D side for a number of years. So finally, I figured out that I really wanted to impact, you know, how the business was kind of put together. And so I started to transition from what was a credible background where I had, you know, credibility in technology and, and you know, you are able to have an expertise in what you're doing to the business side where, you know, it's a little bit that you kind of bring in some leadership and opinion and, and be able to do something different. Yeah, it's really funny because our audience won't remember this, but remember when a 32K modem was fast? Okay. <laughs> so I, I was like, I had a, my first modem was 300 baud and I was excited when I saved money to buy a 1200 baud. So nowadays, nobody, they might think we're crazy. You couldn't run any modern application on that low of bandwidth, but that was hot back then. Oh no, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, basically when you were looking at your terminal, you know, the text was coming across just like a typewriter you know it was just a it was brutal but you know i remember those days yeah but you know it, it, it's the start that gets you where you're going and you know that just kind of you know till that point kind of interesting but as a youngster i had no idea what i was going to do and it crystallized in the moment when i first touched the keyboard i knew this was it and then yep, it, it turned out to be it yeah so bit of a geek but you're also five times iron man <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, I'm a, kind of a type A. So if I get challenged to do something, I'll end up doing something. And so, you know, I played ball seriously for some amount of time and got to try out for two major league clubs. And eventually that didn't work out. And and then I did car racing for a few years. And that went, you know, that was more, it was more of a hobby, but I got sponsors from Sony Honda and you know, race cars for a few years. And then finally, I was kind of this gap. And Somebody kind of challenged me to an Ironman, and I was like, at the, I had no interest in it, but I said, I'm not going to be, you know, you're not going to 
you know, talk down to me on this. And, <laughs> and I did the first one and I kind of got addicted to it and it takes time. So you can't, you know, you just can't do them at will. But in 2016, I had this momentum going and I did four of them out of the gate and then did a follow-up one not too long after. So I'm still still going to try to do one later this year, actually. Yeah, well, we're, well hats off to you. We hope you much success. That's I've always admired Ironman athletes because what a lot of people don't understand, a lot of people could get physically conditioned to the point to complete an Ironman. It's a middle game. It's all about how far can you push yourself. You're really competing with yourself. You're really not competing with anybody else. Yeah, yeah that, that's really insightful because I would tell you is that the Ironman morning – You'll see guys who I think are world-class athletes when you look at them, you know, women and men. And then you'll see others that you think, you know, you're surprised that, you know, you're surprised they're even at the start line. But what I will tell you is that at the end of that day, it's really the mental aptitude that really makes it. And you'll see people fall apart, you know, while they're biking or running. And they just, they, you know, they've, they've kind of lost the, the mental focus. And that, that's really what it comes down to. So that's really insightful on your part. I mean, yes, you have to be physically fit, obviously, but the mental parts will make the difference. Yeah. So let's uh, kind of transition over because I could spend hours talking about the middle sports game because it's so important. But let's transition over to Regis. And we had a very, he told me a very interesting Requit. story. Requis. I'm sorry. Let me get the name of your company right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all it's all good. Requis, though. Yeah. Requis. How did Requis get started? So Requis has an interesting history. So the current company we're working with was Worley, previously Worley Parsons. They were working with eBay, kind of the next generation supply chain. We're looking at what could be done on supply chain. At the same time, a company I was working with was working with eBay on the same question. We were looking at it from an IT perspective. They were looking at it from, you know, from a resource energy chemical perspective. At some point, eBay decided they didn't want to continue forward with that. And so if you would, you know, we're kind of, we were both orphaned at that point and kind of turned to each other, had a lot of ideas, momentum, and energy, and just combined those two. And Worley and the previous companies to work with together came together and formed Requis, which uh, launched in August of last year. And so that's how, that's where the genesis came from. And really the idea was we both had a lot of ideas and thought that, you know, the supply chain could be much different than it is today. And probably from a very high level to think about how the kind of the consumer experience and even the selling experience has changed from a, you know, on a personal level, you're thinking of eBay or, or Alibaba or, or Amazon, but how on the enterprise industrial side, the change has not been as dramatic. And really the idea is like, how should it be changed? And it doesn't mean it needs to mimic what's going on from a retail perspective. It just means that there's a journey that needs to be had on that side to kind of get to the next benefits, if you will, that are available. Yeah. And if our audience knows this, but supply chain, no matter what anybody says, is an issue for the entire oil and gas industry, upstream, midstream, downstream service. Nobody has it figured out, but there's so much savings. And I don't mean savings just in money, but there's there's also savings as far as efficiency around production time, even around HS&E metrics, right? Because if you're using less people, there's less chance of somebody getting hurt. So let's kind of do a little deep dive. So you and the old Worley Parsons, which is now Worley, which is going to take me five years to, to learn how to say <laughs> Worley instead of Worley Parsons. Parsons. Right. Y'all got together. They had a problem. You had a, what you thought was a solution. Y'all worked together to develop this and then y'all implemented it. What are some of the results that's happened because of this implementation? Yeah. So so a good way to start this, think about the way we think about it a little bit differently, right? So if you think of, of supply chain, we think of that a little bit bigger, right? So we think of supply chain, including the demand chain side. And when you look at those two pieces, traditionally, you know, that would be called the value chain if you included the demand and supply chain side. 
And the other way that's different about how we're approaching is we don't think of it as a chain. We don't think that this is a process that's going from left to right. We think of it as a network, right? So what happens, you have a lot of network participants that are involved. That means, you know, suppliers, manufacturers, resellers, refurbishers, operators, scrappers, just everybody who plays their own supply chain being on this network together and being able to play the role that they're going to play in that network. And what you have now is this asset Instead of going from left to right, this asset's really going down a path which is the path of highest economic return because all of the players are at the table. And now you're able to say, determine whether an asset needs to be, you know, you're going to keep it as a spare, you're going to sell it for scrap, you know, being able to determine who should be buying this asset and, and getting the highest return for it. And so if you think about that difference, we'll internally we'll refer to a supply chain as a value network, right? So we, of course, will still will still carry the moniker supply chain. That's what's you know commonly acceptable. But when you think about value networks, that talks a little bit of my background. I'm a network engineer by trade, and then that allows us to kind of think differently about what's being put together. And so one example of that is, for example, a virtual private value network. So in a networking world, a VPM is your virtual private network. In a value network that we're talking about, it's a virtual private value network, which means that if we have all the suppliers interconnected on this network, they may not all be relevant to you, but there's a certain amount of them, let's say 20 that are relevant to you, and those 20 form your virtual private value network. Those are the companies you work for, still being able to have exposure to the companies you don't work with, right? And that, that leads to drastic differences for simple things. For example, if a company was looking for a part they would be, instead of just looking for a part and having to send this request to their supplier that they have an agreement with, in our case, on the platform, if you're looking for a part, you would immediately see the part from the suppliers that you've got currently certified. You'd also see what's available from suppliers you haven't certified that are available on the platform. So you can determine if you have an appetite to look at those. You'll also see what's available on the marketplace. So the marketplace is operators and manufacturers putting their surplus assets in this marketplace. So you'll see what's in this marketplace and be able to see what's available there. And then kind of as a fourth pillar, you'd be able to see what it would cost to get this asset 3D printed in different locations around the world, assuming it was an asset that was, you know, susceptible to 3D printing, meaning where that was relevant, right? And so the experience now for something that was something very, very simple before is much richer than ever was. And one point you alluded to, which is critical, it's not all about price. Even if these were exactly the same price, the delivery dates could be drastically different and drastically impact a project. For example, if you were looking for something that had a nine-month lead time and that happened to be a surplus available in the marketplace within a geographic relevant location, you could potentially collapse now the project nine months, which is tremendous in terms of efficiency. Yeah, that's really cool. So you went from something that people, including myself, think of as a linear process to almost like a meshed process where all the different intersections are either different vendors, supplier, manufacturers, buyers. I, I get it. It's awesome. So now I'm kind of curious, how does this work? Is this a software as a service model? It is. It's a software platform. And then different, you know, different companies will play different roles, different personas within companies as well. And the idea is really to just interconnect this entire space so there's one place to go to. And, you know, one of the things I was really lucky, I went to OTC a couple of weeks ago in Houston. I just missed you. We were there. Oh, well, it's that's funny. funny. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. It's funny. Well, I have to tell you, 
OTC was an amazing experience for me from an entrepreneur perspective. So, you know, very rarely as an entrepreneur, do you get to walk through your problem that you're solving. But OTC, I got to do that. I walked through the OTC all in the first half of my walk. And I was a little bit frustrated. I wasn't finding things I was trying to get to. And I just was not landing on the exact, you know, the vendors and things I wanted to see. And, you know, no worries. But then when I was through that first half, I had some kind of epiphany. I'm walking through my problem. And the problem was that the vendors were separated across the hall, big booths, small booths. They were all intermingled in different places. They were grouped in different ways. You know, there's an area for the booths that for the vendors that come from Canada, but only a third of the Canadian vendors are there. The rest are scattered across. You know, it's hard for me to navigate this. And if you think about the reckless platform, think of the reckless platform organizing all this supply. And who you had walking through the aisles was demand. And the reckless platform will optimally connect the supply with the demand in a way that lets you connect with the the relevant providers, suppliers that you need to work with and connect with them in a much more efficient way to get to your goal ultimately. So for me, OTC was somewhat of a revelation. I really got to walk through the physical instantiation of the problem we're trying to solve. That is so cool that, that you're able to articulate that way. You know, this is an oil and gas tech podcast, so I, I actually want to go a little bit deeper. So, you know, this industry is full of archaic enterprise systems, warehouse systems, whatever. There's big companies out there still running stuff on access databases from 1997. So how does the platform actually connect to all these disparate systems? Do you have API written for all the different ERP systems? That's exactly right. So, you know, the API is really, and you, you raised a great point. There's a lot of separate systems which we need to bring together, and that you know drives a focus for us on the connective tissue, right? And the connective tissue ends up being the APIs that we have, the API we have, or if we're looking to connect to somebody specific, the APIs that they might have available, right? Now, it is to kind of optimally figure out how to be able to instantiate this connective tissue, right? And this even applies to connecting us to other platforms that are playing even a similar role today, right? So. You know, when I think of Requis, I don't necessarily think as one competing platform to Requis. What we're looking to do is something I consider very different. But pieces of things we do may align with existing platforms, and we'll look to interconnect with those as well. So that idea of the connecting tissue to be able to ultimately deliver, I think, is a is a great insight. And really, it's important to recognize, even you know, Requis that. You know, we're part of a larger ecosystem. So we, you need to understand how that ecosystem interconnects together, where are where we delimit in that ecosystem, and how we connect out to the remainder of it. And we both spend a lot of time there this year. Yeah. And so when I see what you're doing, the first thing I get excited about is, oh, my God, you can now do some big data analytics once y'all have done this long enough. And that would actually help everybody. The manufacturers could see what the future trends were. The actual companies that were selling it could see what items are hot or hard to get. And then the buyers could actually benefit from the manufacturers being able to give them exactly what they need when they need it once you start doing analytics over all this data. Yeah, that's really important. And one of the reasons I hesitate to point out the analytics is because Every platform company talks about the analytics and how it'll be the most valuable portion. And so it's starting to kind of get watered down. But the reality is for Requis, that's going to be one of the key value drivers in the future of Requis is being able to derive, you know, insights and actionable insights into the analytics, you know. And even from that perspective, you know, going back to our worldly partnership, which which is we have also a partnership with Arundo, which is a company that Worldly works with, and spend quite a bit of time with them from an analytics perspective. And they're providing tremendous 
you know, insights us and in how we should approach this and, and how and when we're getting to analytics of value, right? And to your point, those value analytics apply both to the operators, the suppliers, everybody who plays a role in that value network will benefit from that in some way, shape or form, either in terms of visibility, in terms of, you know, better visibility in terms of what's coming or understanding when you have an asset, you know, if you're looking up an asset, we able to, oh, that's great. You know, that asset has been, you know, purchased between this and this price. The average price has been paid in here. Here's the average lead time on that asset. And now being able to have, being able to bring all those analytics together to, you know, now be able to look at a project and have a much better view of how long this project will take based on all these analytics and the cost and the, you know, the times in between. I mean, there's tremendous value to be played there. We view, we view that as something that's more downstream. So we don't necessarily talk about that today, but I think that that ends up being one of the most valuable you know, pieces of the platform going forward. Yeah, Richard. So one of the things that y'all want to keep an eye on is these large, complex, deep water projects all over the world, because one single project may be an 80 billion with a B CapEx investment. It may have a 50 year life cycle from beginning to end. And the way the companies make the money is hitting their project deliverable dates. If they, they've done all the math up front, all the geoscience, if they hit the dates, they make money. If they miss the dates, they don't. And what you're literally talking about here is helping companies hit delivery dates because they can make sure they can see ahead of time that there's a constraint in their supply system. Whereas before the old way, they wouldn't know there was a constraint until they couldn't get that pump this is really cool stuff. Right. That's right. Yeah. So from, from a buyer perspective, does this eliminate or help eliminate the whole procurement process? This is a kind of help start automating that. So you get what you need at the price points that you want and delivered to where you need it delivered to. Yeah. I think it augments it, right? It, it evolves it, right? So if we, if we just a very quick delineation, let's call a simple procurement versus a more complex one. I think in terms of a simple procurement process where you're looking for, you know, the assets that are readily available, what would happen in that case is those catalogs are available on the platform. They're loaded on the reckless platform. The availability of surplus is also on the platform. And so when somebody comes and loads up that, you know, the RFQ and the list of assets they're looking for, then you'd find that a matching would occur to let them know from the you know the, the vendors that are currently on the platform, the ones that they've certified, others they haven't certified, and then what's available on the platform. That would now that process, you know, not to exaggerate it, but now is something that could be measured in minutes, right? The idea of now loading that list and then getting the matches and being able to make decisions. I think the contrast there would be to take that same list send it out to a finite number of vendors, maybe three, have them look at it, make mistakes, errors in translation, send them back to you, you evaluate, you know, there's that entire kind of the blue collar work related to kind of getting to the meat of what you're trying to achieve. I think that's what we kind of simplify and kind of take off the table. Yeah. So the cool thing is you're not getting rid of procurement jobs. You're making those people's life easier. You're making better at what they yeah. do. We are surely not going to run a procurement job. I would tell you, we spent a tremendous amount of time with our procurement practitioners. We've been very fortunate to be exposed to tremendous people in that space that, you know, have more knowledge of that space than I'll have, you know, for the rest of my life. And what we're trying to do is not to replace them, is to kind of codify all this experience that they've had into a much better resulting experience for, for procurement in general and where they could now have a think of a world where they have a much more friendly dashboard in front of them that uh, that complements what trying to, you know when they get to work and they open their computer that they're able to just have a much friendlier interface and dashboard it's like what's next what do we stand what what's the remainder of process that's left and you know the one step further on that is that 
even today, Reckless, you know, we work with the Google Translate, so it's available in 53 languages. We have mobile apps that we're launching shortly. We have a mobile app that's available through a browser today, but we're going to put those into the Android and Apple and the iOS stores. And the idea as well is to follow along, right? So if you think of that, we're really focused on the role. So if we think about that procurement role, we're trying to figure out how can we help them accomplish that work, you know? You know, now when they leave the laptop or whatever, what we'd like to be is we're an app onto their phone and they can still play the roles. You know, they can they can play an approval role. They can but quickly search for things. They they could still have access to what's going on. And, you know, the idea of being able to, you know, play an approval role, I was just talking about, there's different roles along the procurement lifecycle. And what we need to make sure is that we're driving that efficiency so that, for example, if you or I played a role, an approval role, that if that came up on our phone and say, hey, Reckless says, hey, this is a, could you approve this? We push that button and then the process keeps moving much quicker than if it just laid in our inbox or wherever it is till we decided to open our laptop at some point. Well, the cool thing about that is a whole bunch of cool stuff. So number one is you now have created audit trail, which may be very valuable too if there's litigation in the future about something, and it's going to be automatic. The other thing is, which I'm excited about, is a lot of the really good procurement people on oil and gas have 20, 25, some of them 30 years of experience. And a lot of the stuff that they use on a day-to-day basis is not written down anywhere. It's in their head somewhere, right? So when you bring on a new procurement person, it usually takes them a while to get up to speed. They make mistakes. You're helping these young new procurement people get up to speed quicker because all that information, all that knowledge, maybe I shouldn't say all it, but a lot of that knowledge has been taken out of these people's heads and put into your tool. Correct. That's exactly right. That's awesome. Yeah. And that codified experience, it doesn't it doesn't reduce the amount of procurement people you need. What it means is it lets them spend time on the more value added aspects of their job. Yeah, I, I kind of want to switch gears real quick because we're getting close to the end of the time. But going back to Worley, so you start off working with them, and then it sounds like you've worked with a lot of their vendors. And the first thing I start thinking of is if you have a common platform between the companies and their vendors, it makes everybody's life easier. I mean, it's an easy thing to see, but you're almost starting to build a community, aren't you? Now the suppliers and the buyers are on the same platform, so they have something in common. That's another cool thing in the future that, that you all need to keep an eye on. Yeah, and that's exactly right. The platform is the destination, and the platform now becomes the value network or the supply chain, if you will. Once everybody is interconnected to the network, they can now determine who they work with and how they work with them in a much more dynamic and efficient way than ever before, right? And so what you're saying about community is exactly right. There would be communities forming. There's a rating system forming. How are you performing? You know, how, how are you as a buyer? How are you as a seller, right? And then just in general, how are you as a as a manufacturer of this part, right? And could I trust, I've never worked with you, but you have a 99.4% rating on Request, you know, that provides an additional level of trust, right? So the idea and the notion of community, I think is really critical to what we're doing. Yeah, Richard, man, we got to get you back on the show. We're getting close to winding things down. So Richard, if people wanted to learn more about Request, where should they go? They would go to request.com. So obviously you can have a look at the website and see what we have going there. From the website, you can also hit the link there and reach our platform, register on the platform. I think it's important to note that all registrations get reviewed, and that's the idea of ensuring that the folks on the platform are legitimate and play a proper role in resource energy or or, or a chemical space. Obviously, you can reach out to us via LinkedIn as well. 
you can reach us there. And then if you look within a LinkedIn for folks who work at request.com, I think you'll find a large number of our team available there as well. Yeah. So folks will put links in the show notes so you don't have to be writing anything down. If you're uh, listening to this on mobile, swipe up or left, depending if you're iOS or Android, just go ahead and click the link. Go check out what Request is doing. If you work for an oil and gas company, y'all really need to look hard at this. This is a game changer and this is your chance to get a hold of something before your competitors do. And Richard, if people want to learn more about you personally, we're just going to go ahead and throw your LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well. And so this is the part of the show where we do our product reviews. If you have a tech product you want me to review, reach out and let me know. Just so you know, a lot of companies donate those parts to me. So we will try to give you as unbiased an opinion as possible. So if the product needs some work, we're going to say that where they gave it to us or not. If it's great, we'll say that as well. Also, we're standing up an Amazon uh, page. If So if you want to buy any of these products that we're talking about, we earn a small commission, no cost to you. So this helps support the show. So today, real quick, we're talking about the Zoom H6. That's what All Gas Global Network is what all eight of our podcasts use to record podcasts. Fantastic piece of equipment, rugged, reliable, very low noise. You can have up to six XLR inputs put into it, and it doesn't require a computer. So it's battery powered. So we literally can go anywhere with our Zoom H6 and microphones record podcasts. You spoke earlier, Richard, about being at OTC. We were there recording podcasts. It's funny. Next year, if you come, Richard, let me know and, and we'll give you the grand tour. So links in the show notes for that. Real quick, Street Team, you've heard me talk about it before. If you want to be our, join our Oil and Gas Global Network Street Team, we ask, looking for volunteers. We're pushing, I think, 170-something people globally. We'd love to have three or 400. All we ask is that for an hour's worth of work a week from you, it's mostly with our social media. Julie and Tim are running that, so there's a link in that show notes too to go join the street team. You get cool swag. You get invited to be part of our press crew if you're in the local geographic area where we're hitting some conference and expo. So it's a cool thing to do. And if you're busy and can't do your hour's worth of work a week, we don't care. We know life gets away. It's cool. And then talk about cool stuff. Flatour is giving away this really cool cerebral artificial intelligence backpack, right? It's a cyber backpack. It's really awesome. If you want to win this thing, it's really easy. Go to getflutour.com forward slash podcast OGGN or once again, hit the show notes and just click on it. We'll give away one lucky winner a week. So Richard, you and your team can go try to win this backpack. It's really cool. Then finally, if you're out on the internet anyway, go to allandgastechpodcast.com. Give us your email address. We promise never to spam you. We don't even use the email address yet, but as we grow at some point, we'll use that to let you know we're doing really cool stuff. And then finally, join the LinkedIn group. It's uh, we're over two thousand members it's oggn on linkedin it's a way for us to communicate with you beloved audience then richard dude thanks so much for coming on the show this was awesome we are definitely gonna get you back on no thank you i really appreciate it really enjoyed this thanks for the time yeah all right so we're gonna get out of here so we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time and here's julie with events on debt Hey, it's Julie here, and I have a few OGGN announcements before heading into the events on deck. Street team, we are still taking volunteers for our street team. We're only asking for an hour of your time per week in exchange for perks such as free entry to our happy hours, shirts, networking with other young professionals in our group. The group is within Facebook, but you do not have to have a Facebook to join. Just send me an email. The link will be in the show notes, and I can get you started. Our happy hours. We are actually moving to quarterly happy hours rather than monthly. So our next Houston happy hour, as well as Midland, will be in August or September. Be on the lookout for that date. You'll get an invite if you're on the list. If not, you can sign up on the list below. And then we are launching another happy hour in Denver in August. So if you're interested in that one, the link is in the show notes as well to be notified. We don't have a date or details for that yet, but they're coming up. Okay, now on to the events on deck. 
We have Golf for Good on June 11th, 2019 in Houston, Texas. All proceeds go to help Redeemed Ministries with our long-term recovery program and safe house to help victims of human trafficking become survivors. So mark your calendars and be ready to golf for good with Redeemed and our organizers, Global SEM Energy and Red M. For more information on how to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. Data-Driven Drilling and Production Conference is June 11th through 12th in Houston, Texas. This is where Silicon Valley meets oil and gas. Register at the link in our show notes below. The Energy and Data Conference is June 17th through 19th in Austin, Texas. This forward-looking conference will include the latest in digital transformation trends as they relate to the energy sectors with topics such as machine learning and data management storage, oil and gas development and drilling production, and more. Link down below. Energy Exposition is June 26th through 27th in Gillette, Wyoming. The Energy Exposition is for those who would like to know more about procedures, technology, safety, environmental practices, and equipment used in the oil and gas industry. And again, the link is in our show notes. Argentina Oil and Gas and Energy Summit 2019 is on July 10th and 11th in Buenos Aires. This summit's actually the first and only official event for the Argentinian oil and gas and energy industries. It will present a unique platform for networking that will bring together existing and future operators in the oil and gas industry in Argentina and Latin America. Next up is the 2019 IPANM annual meeting that Mark, Jake, and Paige will actually be speaking at. This will be July 24th through 26th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And this year's theme is Addressing Operator Needs in 2019. And next up is Desk and Derek Fort Worth second annual shoot for the future clay shoot. This clay shoot will be on July 26th in Decatur, Texas. And then last but not least, Summer Nape. This is going to be August 21st and 22nd to where the deals happen. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil and Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com. <laughs>